Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. I'm your host, Shwini Poo, and this is episode 199. I'm joined very early on a Tuesday morning uh, by my co-host, Stacy. That's at Stacy back in town. Stacy, how are you doing? Doing pretty well. Good to hear. How was your weekend? That's uh, Memorial Day. It's, uh, I've been in Florida this weekend, so. You got some sun? You got some sun, yeah, and, uh, you know. It's not quite Cancun, but uh, it's pretty close. So I don't know if Jimmy will have to go there or if we're just going to come back to Florida. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, before we get started, I have to make an announcement. The Strickland has a Patreon. You can subscribe to it. There's a number of tiers. There's a $6 tier. That gets you access to Pod Strickland every Friday that I do with Prez. Also get access to the Strickland Discord where the next conversation and all conversation really never stops. Uh, you also get access to the weekly mail, the mailbag that I do every other week with Jeremy and Drew. There's also a $9 tier that gets you access to Strick and Roll, my solo pod, where I yell about the Knicks even more. You also get access to wonderful weekly articles by Jack Huntley and Matthew Miranda, two of the best in the biz. There are further tiers. There's a $50 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, and $100 tier. Those come with a variety of additional benefits like live watch parties, listening in on pod recordings, and even potentially co-hosting a podcast alongside yours truly. If you choose to subscribe, thank you very much. And if not, still, thank you very much. None of this would be possible without you. So without further ado, let's talk a little bit about the game of basketball. Um, I don't know. You wanted to yell at me about something uh, related to Mitchell Robinson rebounding the ball. Um, so I'll let you have the floor. Yeah, I mean, uh, we've talked about Mitch quite a bit. Um, from reports, we're getting some conflicting news um, in terms of whether he'll be back. Um, and also what um, what is to be done if he isn't. Um, so I guess there's two things in general, a lot of the discourse about Mitch that kind of bothers me. Um, number one, like he has a lot of limitations, but um, a lot of the discourse misses a lot of context. Um, number one being there's people, I mean, I've seen someone compare him to Frank Milikina in terms of his offensive impact, which is just a flat out lie. Um, he is an elite offensive rebounder. And then, of course, you mentioned that, and people are like, well, he averages eight rebounds a game. How good can he be? Um, averages the same number of rebounds overall as Jarrett Allen for 36, to the extent that that matters. Um, finished close to 99th percentile in both contested box outs, as well as, um, as, well as uh, offensive rebounding. Um, and then we can talk about defense. Uh, a lot of people have made a lot of... Big deal about 
diminished mobility, right? Um, I am, uh, I think that there's a few things that we need to look at. Um, early in the season, he definitely didn't look like a great defender. That's one thing. On the other hand, um, let's look at the starting lineup for the Knicks last year in, in the beginning of the season. There was the extremely physically imposing Kemba Walker at age 65. There was Evan Fournier, um, who moves like a toddler in mud on defense. There was RJ Barrett, who is the best defender in that starting lineup. Um, for comparison's sake, I, do you think RJ Barrett's a better defender than Jalen Brown? Um, yes. They're pretty close. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I would say Jalen Brown is a way better on-ball defender, but he's actually a fucking moron uh, in any situation where he's not on the ball. So there's that. Um, so however you want to parse that through. So yeah. the best defender in Mitchell Robin in the lineup Mitchell Robinson plays with is the same, about the same as the worst defender in the starting lineup that a certain player that Mitchell Robinson always gets compared on and shitted on compared to plays in. Um, so on the one hand, Mitch is slow, isn't as mobile as someone like Robert Williams. On the other hand, he is asked to do pretty impossible things, or he was in the beginning of the season with that lineup. Um, Burks was an upgrade on Kemba. Not really. And then who could forget the power forward that Mitch plays with, who doesn't believe in help defense, who doesn't really believe, I mean, he, he's decent at boxing out. Um, who offers zero rim protection, who can switch a little bit but doesn't do his job, doesn't help, and Julius Randle. So you took all of that, right? And then it's the constant Mitch sucks. I mean, we've seen it a lot throughout the year. Like, Mitch is slow. Mitch gets beasted by every center. Here's the thing, right? If your guards can't stop dribble penetration and you want him to lock down Nikola Jokic, there's some missing context there. Where there's some issues with conditioning, yes. Um, but I think his impact on defense is understated by people who, who don't understand those things. They'll be like, look at beyond off. Well, the, the backup defenders are better than the ones Mitch got to play with. Um, and then all of that comes back to this. I am firmly do not believe that any center the Knicks would take is going to be better than Mitchell Robinson on defense for at least two years, probably three, um, to get to that level, if then. I think they're most of the centers in their range. To, to, if you look at the limitations, what I have agreed with you on is that I think they'd be well served with a center that would allow them to go five out or someone who would give you the dimensions that Mitch is missing. And to be clear, it does help to have a center that can do certain things. But I think that that level has to be pretty high um, to be using a lottery pick on that kind of player. And absent that, they're going to have a downgraded center um, barring the fact, barring being able to get like a lottery pick or like an elite type center. Um, and I, I don't think that the guys that they'd be targeting this draft are that. And I also don't think they should be letting him walk if he's only going to ask for 12 or $13 million. And I think at this point, he's just being severely underrated for his offensive limitations. And I think the most contradictory thing is the guys that everyone seems to want in the draft have the same there's still a drop big like mark williams he could be way better than mitch he's a 72 percent free throw shooter he's not like one day he's gonna shoot he's gonna allow them to be 72 percent 
and he missed a lot of big ones and his form isn't great. Like maybe one day in his second contract, he'll be able to hit two, like take two threes a game and hit him at 35%. Oh, well, like you want to talk about Mitch being slow. That's what you're talking about with Mark Williams. He can punish switches twice a game, maybe in the playoffs. Oh, well, like he's going to get punished on switch. He can't switch, right? So he's limiting your defense the same I way. I don't think Mitch can switch. Uh, I think he can switch a hell of a lot more than Mark Williams. That, that, that's not the standard. The standard is like you're, you're like, what and, you I, do, I, and I think you're basically, hold on, hold on, hold on. What you do is you're diminishing any potential upside for somebody, forget Mark Williams, for other centers, and then glossing over like this. All of the bullshit with Mitch, and I think no, you're, I you're overstating. I don't, I don't, what, when has he told you about the switch? context, though? When has uh, he proven year, he can switch? Last year and at times this year, and again, you're missing the fact that no, he he's never switched. he's never he's never proven. He's never he is never proven he's a switch defender. That's not once. I just, last year he did. Wait, wait, no, he didn't. The Knicks not, didn't run a fucking switch scheme. So how can you say he's proven to be a switch defender when they've never I run mean, a scheme okay, that's switch heavy? But they've never done times it. when you switch during games. Okay, but that's not the point. Hundred percent. No, but but you but like you're you're saying Robert Williams. Robert Williams is a comparable player, right? No, I'm saying. Saying that when we when you say like look at these guys look at all the things they can do it matters that Mitch is covering for four ass defenders okay but that's not my standard I'm not punishing Mitch because I'm I'm not expecting him to like hold down the fort with Kemba Walker and Evan Fournier on the perimeter my point is though you you're saying he can switch I don't agree with that at all he's never proven to be a high switch defender there's a I reason mean, relative why... to other centers in the league okay but that's not, not the standard he's he's also, like he's, also he's also a lower usage player than most centers in the league he's also like bam for all of his whatever was going on with him in the conference finals congratulations on having a good game 7 way higher level offensive player and way better switch defender robert williams has played he played in a defense which the entire basis of it is switching the ability to switch consistently across positions everybody not just him everybody and the fact of the matter is you cannot do that with mitch mitch doesn't have no they haven't done that no that's what I'm it, you cannot with. you cannot do it how much because, is it you don't want to switch mitch onto a guard and how much of it you don't just want to switch kemba walker on a nikola Jokic? how come how come this limitation did not exist with rookie center Jericho Sims in Tom Thibodeau's estimation. Do you think that's he, because Jericho also played with better defenders? No, he didn't. He played in the same fucking lineups that he Mitch played, did. No, he played with the bench a lot. He didn't. He didn't even start to like the last five games. He played. We, we literally saw a game against the Nets where Mitchell Robinson was awful, and Jer- and Tom Thibodeau chose to close with Jericho Sims because why? Because he's a more active player who can. A trap on the perimeter can be more aggressive and can switch. Was Mitch even healthy that game? Is Mitch ever fucking healthy? I don't know. Like, I am fine with them keeping Mitch Robinson. I actually hope they keep Mitch because I agree that, like, all of the, like, is Mark Williams going to be better? I think he will be better, but, like, when is that day going to be? Contract. How much? How much better is he going to be? I don't care. Like, I agree. Like, the Knicks should not draft Mark Williams. They should not draft Jalen Durant. These guys are not going to be better than Mitch next year. And if they are better, I don't think they will be way better. I don't think they'll be significantly better. Maybe I'm wrong on that. I don't know. My point, though, is, like, Mitch, like, if we want to say the reasons to keep Mitch cannot be anymore about, like, what he can be. 
They're not because, for me. Because yeah. the Switch stuff to me, it does not exist. That is bullshit. Like, I don't agree with that at all. I, I don't mean, think he's shown you, it. Would you say his mobility is above average for a center in the league? Because I would. Yeah, I'd say his mobility is above average, but that doesn't matter to me because above average is a low standard for what we're talking about. If you're I mean, twelve million dollars a year. No, but we're we're I'm not talking about the contract. I'm talking about Mitchell Robinson evaluating him as a player. He's not a high switch defender. He's not. He's never shown it. Like, yeah, there are moments where he switched on to James Harden and blocked a couple of shots. Like, yes, he has moments of like great switch like that's like saying Kevon Looney is a high end switch defender. Because no, he's no, no, but I didn't say high end, right? I said he can he is capable of doing that more than probably not Duran actually. Um if that's really what you're into, I can get that if if the Knicks draft him. But Williams and most other centers like cannot do high switch, right? Like you're talking about an elite type talent. Um and and also but I also think to run a switch scheme, it does depend on the like I think they could have had Robert Williams or Bam last year, and they're not switching with Kemba Walker and Evan Fournier. And and You're I not, think that comes but into also, but even when we've had like whatever we want to say about Elf, right? Obviously, like not a great defender. We all agree on that. Um, but like that team last year, that's one thing he could he could guard up. But yeah, yeah. and but like that team last year was capable of doing a switch defense, and we just never did it. Now some of that is Tom Thibodeau going back years. He's not been a high. He does not like switching very often. Um, if he does like the switching that we do usually has been one to three, but he doesn't generally he like, actually likes that a lot, but yeah, he generally he played elf, but right. He generally does not like switching a big onto a perimeter guy. That is a fact. Okay. But the fact, but like, I also think I'll give an example, game example last year. So not this past season, but the year before when we were actually good. The Knicks played against, uh, they played the Nets, okay? Kyrie Irving was out that game, I think. Uh, no, no, Durant, I don't know. who. One of, the, one, of the, one of their big three at the time was out. Whatever. They are absolutely killing the Knicks in their drop coverage. Absolutely killing them. In the second half, Tibbs basically benched Mitch and just played Randall at the five a bunch and switched everything. Now, do I think that's an indictment of Mitch? Not necessarily, but I do think that if Tom Thibodeau, who hates adjusting his schemes, like I think that says something. I think that says that he does not believe Mitch can switch. And I think we have more evidence of that because he did way more switching, way more trapping, way more blitzing with Jericho fucking Sims as a rookie than he's ever done with Mitchell Robinson in two years. I think that is, and this is not like an appeal to authority. Because I'm not saying you have to agree with Tom Thibodeau. It's an evidence. That it's a piece of evidence that suggests Mitch isn't able to switch. I think. Yeah, and I, I don't think I don't think he can switch. And I think that's like a correct evaluation of him because this guy can't go five minutes on an NBA court without sucking wind. Like he is absolutely gassed after four or five minute stretches. And I don't want to turn this into like the shit on Mitch Pod because again, I do think the Knicks should keep him, and I hope I maybe they will I don't know I don't even know what to think of that anymore but he is like I don't know I don't think if the if the Knicks don't bring him back I don't think it's because they think he's way too limited I don't think it's because they don't value what he brings to the table I think they believe he is not a smart worker or an efficient worker and 
he has not shown any ability to improve basically any skill. Like, the only thing he's gotten better at over the, his time in the NBA, the two things he's gotten better at, boxing out and not fouling as much. Like, that's that's it. Other than that, he's gotten better at nothing. And I would actually say there was a time, his first two years in the NBA specifically, where I thought he could be a high-end switch defender. I think he's lost mobility. He looks less athletic to me. Even when he got into shape at the end of the year, he didn't look as athletic to me. He didn't look as 99th percentile freak seven-foot big man athleticism as he had previously. So I, I again, want to keep him, but like I think there are a lot of very valid concerns about his work ethic, work his ethic. professionalism, and his just general ability to improve skills because he has shown nothing. He has gotten worse actually as a shooter somehow. Um, so, and, and then there's also this weird notion like of he should be allowed to do more on offense That's that, yeah. that he <laughs> believes. Like I don't know what you know. What what am if I only supposed Tibbs to do would here? let the 51 percent free throw shooter take threes in the game? Yeah, or like like oh like. He gets switches in the post, and he can't even hold that position. Like I, I just don't he has know. Trouble catching the ball. Yeah, yeah he doesn't have good hands. Like I, I don't know. I just think when it comes to Mitch, like there are so many weird things with him that, like, it, it feels like a lot of times we gloss—not we necessarily—but um, like a lot of people seem to gloss over the stuff he doesn't do because, like, if he, like, I try to think about this, like. If he played, if he was playing in these playoffs right now, and not, I'm not talking about like, would he be able to stay on the floor, but just like, given how he plays and his limitations, I feel like if he was not on the Knicks and he was on, I don't know, fucking Miami or something, and he was having, you know, he played like Mitch plays, I feel like we would be clowning. We would be clowning him. We'd be like, "Oh my god, this guy can't do anything. He can't do this. He can't do that thing." And like, is that a basis to not sign him or like to just no? It's not. But like, I just think it's interesting how the conversations about him often go. Where it's like, like I agree with you. There are people that are way too critical of him, but I also think there's like another end of it where there are people who ignore the very, very significant limitations of his game, and more importantly, I think, ignore how those limitations... Uh, like, if you're building around R.J. Barrett, if you're building around, for the time being, anyway, Julius Randle, but fuck, fuck Julius Randle, if you're building with Obi Toppin in mind, like, can you have Mitch and be successful? Yes. But, like, like I'll... As an example of Boston, right? We talk about Robert Williams a lot. He's really good. I think he's much better than Mitch. But even Robert Williams at times has there are specific matchups and situations where like his limitations are are, are an issue. What Boston has in their favor is they have a player in Al Horford who has proven able to play at the five and offer a different look, right? Now, the Knicks don't have that guy because I yeah. don't think Julius Randle is ever going to be uh, anything like that on defense. And Obi, as much as I think people exaggerate sometimes his issues on defense, he's not going to be a five. Like, it's just not going to happen. That's not going to be a thing that he does. So the Knicks what, don't have that. What specifically about that 
I agree, but what's your actual reasoning? I mean, I just don't think he's like. I mean, just looking at Horford and looking at Obi, like he's not built like that. He's not. Like, he's not going to hold his position in the post. He's not going to wall up on Giannis. Like he's not going to be able to do those things. It is I, the high hips for you. I mean, that's basically what we're talking about. He's yeah, like, I think yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and his lower body in general, like his, like he. You look at his like calves and all that stuff. Like he's not. Exactly, Jack. Um, Doesn't but like Max Bielfeld calves. <laughs> exactly, um, but like you know, like that's so. Like when it comes to that, like there are limitations with Mitch, and the fact that we don't have a player that we can lean on to give us a different look also is an issue. And so, like when when we talk about you know what are Mitch's limitations. I don't know if that's the right way to look at it. I think it's more about like, okay, well, how does he impact the ability to build with and around a guy like RJ Barrett and to a lesser degree, Obi Toppin? I don't care so much about quickly because I don't think quickly is massively impacted by the center he plays. He's good in this role. Yeah, he's good in his role. I want to keep him there. But, like, he's not impacted necessarily. Like, I think if he plays with a stretch five or a rim-running five or whatever, I don't think it impacts his shot distribution or shot selection. I mean, I think everyone benefits from a rising boat role. Like, a stretch five would benefit everyone. Especially, I think, I would even say maybe even more quickly because he's not as reliant on getting downhill as RJ. But the fact that he struggles with it means that he'd probably benefit from not having to worry about things. He would definitely benefit from it, but I think he's still yeah. very impactful without a stretch big. I get Whereas yeah. RJ's impact, and I'm like, I think he's pretty impactful, but like he, I think having a very like a very limited center who doesn't screen well at all and has limited ability to catch the ball on the short roll and do something with it, like I, I think that is, you know, that is a an issue and um, I don't know I, I just I, I I want them to keep Mitch at the same time I do wonder if there's a world where like we lose Mitch and you know bring in somebody like let's just say Isaiah Hartenstein who is not I don't think in a vacuum is anywhere near as good as Mitchell Robinson um, but like I think there's a world where we do that and there's not much of a drop off, and we're like, and it's not because he's better than Mitch, but it's because how he plays and things he's able to do add more to the team offensively. Um, although, like, there's also a world where Mitch's offensive rebounding loss is a big deal. Um, so, like, I don't know. I just, I just think with Mitch, like, there's so many ways to look at him and his impact, and um, you know. If it gets to like 15, 16 million a year, do I want to keep him? I'm not sure. If it's 11, 12, like, yeah, absolutely keep him. Yeah, I think 15 is my hard cap there. Um, but um, I think, so I think if they were to say the professionalism aspect, I'd still think it would be a loss by this front office to get nothing back. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's, 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 I think it's a big loss if they get nothing for it. Yeah, and um, I've been pretty... Um, Supportive, I guess that's the wrong word, but I haven't really had a problem with too much the front office has done. Um, for example, I don't have a problem with them trading out of the first round last year and turning that into Cam Reddish, like um, a lot of people who are lamenting the loss of Herb Jones. 
Um, this would be a big loss. Um, I think I agree with most of what you said. Um, I think we differ on Mitch's mobility and how switchable he can be. I think not being able to switch on Kyrie Irving um, isn't a death knell. Um, I think that's – he's like you talk about guys like Bam, he's not that. Um, he's not – I mean, Jericho Sims you – know, we were talking about Jericho Sims being a rookie, but I think he's actually pretty good at switching. Like, and he's, and, But the trade-off is this. Uh, Jericho Sims is better at that, but um, he allowed opponents to shoot not very nice, 69% at the rim, um, which is – part of that is rookie, but part of that is also he's smaller than Mitch. So Mitch's size, like he does provide, I would say one thing he does provide is elite rim protection. Um, but I think if they do have a problem with like the culture, that's one thing. And then, yeah, like the ability to go five out. So actually Hardenstein's a guy um, who I would agree with you on. That would be an interesting replacement. Um, er- Erson Demir, um, who you should follow if you're on Nick's Twitter, um, puts out a lot of great stuff, puts out a lot of film, uh, you know, really does the work. Has been uh, kind of, I don't think he's a big fan of Mitch Robinson, but Hardenstein is a guy that he's in on, and, and I'd buy that. And I mean, I think you said that you could probably get him for like the MLE or less. Yeah, I think um, so. So, and then, yeah, he gives you that different look, right? And then it, it also, you know, combines with Sims. So if that was how they wanted to do it, I'd be okay with that. Um, I just, um, I, I think that if they're, if they're going to take a big, I would want them to, to, to like if it was a stretch big that would make more sense to me because it gives you a different look whether whether Mitch comes back or not. Um, if you're drafting the same kind of player, even if you're drafting the same kind of player, then I would I would say you can probably find that in the second round. Um, I think that to draft a big in the lottery, you have to be pretty convinced that he's either going to be like switchable on a high level, um, and um, or like be able to, to let you play five out. Um, and that's why of the two lottery centers, I'm probably would be a little bit more okay with them drafting Duran. Um, he's shown some short roll passing. I don't think, I think there's people who buy the shot and I just don't see it. Um, it's a 60% free throw shooter. Um, like I wasn't particularly impressed with his touch. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I think we're mostly in agreement um, that, uh, like it would be nice for them to have an, a way to go five out, um, you know, and um, you know, a guy that there are guys in the draft I think that would allow them to do that, um, specifically Tarizan, but also Jeremy Sohan. Those would be, I think, more interesting targets if they wanted to shore up the big position. Um, yeah, uh, I I agree that there are more interesting players, um, and like. Ultimately, like that's why I don't think they should draft a, a center uh, at eleven. Um, but like, I don't, also don't broad like I. I think the idea, and I, I mean, we've talked enough about this, but like, I don't agree. We haven't with, talked about this on the pod. I don't think. Yeah, so. I, I don't agree with the idea that you can't take bigs in the, in the first round or in the lottery. Um, I think the threshold is high, but I also feel like, like I don't agree at all that bigs are running backs. I think that's a bullshit argument. Do you think running it... backs are running backs? Side note. Yeah. Yes, I do. Um, do you think that that is not overblown? Okay, interesting. Yeah, I don't think that's overblown. I think like again, there's like a like does Derrick Henry matter? Yes, Derrick Henry matters. But like how many guys are actually Derrick Henry? Not many. Um 
and like so you know you're talking about generational running backs whereas like i don't think you need to be a generational talent as a center to quote unquote matter like like we just talked about robert williams who i don't know he's had some injury issues so i think that might be some of the reason why he hasn't uh been as consistent in his performances he was in the regular season um less so about you know matching up and his limitations and all that stuff i think like it's more about he's just kind of sucked it up through an injury and, and came he came back pretty fast i think from an injury that had a longer timetable initially so i'm not pulling that against him but like you know bam was a lottery pick he's a big al horford was a lottery pick He's third overall pick. Like, I don't, like, I gotta say this too. Like, fuck Al Horford. Fuck all these people that are, like, trying to turn this into some, like, awesome thing for him. He's an anti vaxxing piece of shit. Uh, I don't need to care about him. And I think we need to stop treating a guy who was a third overall pick as some, like, underdog story. Give me a fucking break. Um, anyway, my point here is Al Horford was a third overall pick. Uh, then you go to Golden State. Kevon Looney is what he was like the twenty fifth pick or something like that. I'm not saying he was a high end guy, I mean, the but the twenty fifth like, pick is apparently the best pick in the draft. So it's true. Um, but like he also, I mean, he probably would have gone higher in that draft if not for the injury issues and concerns that existed with him. So like, I don't. I mean, I'm just saying. Like, I, I don't know if twenty fifth pick totally captures his what he was viewed as as a prospect. Um, but like, he's. Been, he was a I, one and done too, right? And I think at yeah. UCLA, if you watch, there's like a, I think the first mixtape I saw him give him like KD comparisons because I think he was like a mobile six nine dude. Yeah, and then he was doing the credit to him. Doing, he's transformed his game, but yeah. But yeah, he and he's been at Golden State now for a long time. Like he's clearly proven that he's a valuable player for them, uh, and he's turned up big in both of their last two closeout games in the series, right? Um, against Memphis and. Dallas. He's had huge performances. In those. Uh, uh, yeah, just on that note, um, sorry, this is a tangent. Do you think he's better than Robert Williams at this point, or uh, for this series? Because I think Nikias Duncan put up a top 10 players list, and he had Looney over Robert Williams. That might be a health thing. That might be just how impactful they've both been in the playoffs, but I thought that was really interesting. I think that's reasonable. Like I don't, I don't know how strongly I feel about it one way or the other, but I think that's reasonable. Like I, I don't think that's outrageous. Um, and I've, I've felt for a while that like Looney is somebody who gets, he got like memed a bunch last year. I thought for weird reasons, but like, yeah, like I think he's pretty good. And the fact that he plays next to Draymond, who isn't, in, you know, he's not exactly spacing the floor. Um, you know, the fact that he can hold up on both ends. Yes, obviously having Steph and Clay and like that type of spacing from the guard spots matters, but like the fact that they can hold up and and actually not more than hold up, right? They're, they're flat out good with those two in the front court says something about his abilities. Um, you know, and then and then you have uh, you know, then you had Dallas, who's like the one outlier in terms of they don't have good bigs. Like I guess Kleba is a good big, but he's also a stretch big, so it's a little bit different. But like they don't have a, a good traditional big guy. And, like, that's the one outlier of those four teams that were in the conference finals. Like, does that, to me, like, you just look, and then you, like, look around the NBA, okay? Giannis is, what, 27, Embiid is 28, Jokic is 26, I don't even know what the fuck he, how old he is. But, like, 
there's a lot of good bigs in the NBA. And I would say that some of the best players of the next generation, or maybe we should start calling it the current generation, um, are are bigs. So like uh, do you should you take a big in the lottery? I, I don't know. I, I'm not I, I don't I will say that I don't think that it should be no. The answer should not be no. Should the standard and threshold be higher than it is for other positions? Yes. But like the idea that bigs don't matter, I think is patently bullshit. Um, yes, you can get away with like having platoons at the five and you know not spending big dollars there, but you look at the teams that don't spend big dollars there and the teams that have had success doing that, and it's usually because they have awesome, amazing wing and guard talent. Like, you know, I, I just like is Boston you know, Boston has they're spending a lot of money on bigs. If you want to be real about it like Horford is going to have his contract guaranteed for next year that's like 26 and a half million I think Robert Williams obviously he's making about 12 million a year um you know that's about 40 million that they have invested into the big big man position like most teams are investing serious dollars there so I don't really agree with the idea that like you can just get a get by with platoon fives unless you have amazing perimeter talent and like Boston has great perimeter talent and even they Still, I would argue that like what makes them so good as a team is that those big guys are capable of playing that switch system. Um, and like as good as Tatum is and Brown is and all that shit, like I don't think they're like Tatum's had a really awesome defensive playoffs, and in term and also like his offense has been great too. But like. I kind of think he benefits. Like, like people talk about him as an amazing defender, right? Like I've I've seen so many comments about like how he's an amazing defender, and like he's definitely really fucking good. But I think it's hard benefits. to hit a game winner in his face. Exactly, but like I think he benefits a lot from how those bigs they have are capable of playing that switch scheme, and he benefits from that switch scheme a ton because he's not a guy that I particularly like chasing over screens or anything like that. Like he's really good on ball, but when you put him in ball screens and if he has to like chase over and execute a different scheme than switch, I think he isn't anywhere near as good as his reputation is at times. Um, yeah. So there's a few things um, I'll say here. Um, so I agree. Bigs aren't exact like running backs. Um, I think a specific type of big is um, when you talk about the whole running backs thing, a big part of it, I'm not a believer that the running game doesn't matter anymore. Um, uh, I also think that for certain running backs, if you want to draft them like late second round, like early third round, I can kill a team for that. Um, what I will say is like, they're very dependent obviously on a lot of other things going well, right? They're dependent on being able to keep the safeties back. They're dependent on, obviously a functional offensive line, those kind of things. That's kind of like rim running bigs. That's Mitch cannot be an offensive threat. Well, actually I think he can be a little bit because of the offensive rebounding, but he's dependent on other people creating opportunities. Yeah, teams um, aren't, teams aren't like, you don't need to do a lot of scheming to stop Mitchell Robinson yeah. on offense. Looney is completely dependent. I would say he can catch the ball and do some things. Um, but like, I mean, actually, I think his short role has improved, but um, it's he's not doing any kind of otherworldly stuff. 
Um, Williams is a good passer, but can't really score outside the paint. Uh, my point is that, but so they, I think most of that value A is offered on defense, and B, um, I think when you look at these teams, the bigs Boston has invested a lot of money, but their only their traditional five is uh, making only twelve, thirteen million dollars a year. Al Horford is a big, but he plays both positions for them, uh, four and five. He's a versatile five. Um, so you, so you think if you're taking a big in the lottery that needs it should be somebody who can play four and five i think they need to give you versatility um whether that's scheme wise or lineup wise so do pretty, you think yeah. so do you think then just in a vacuum i'm not asking i know you like him as a player and you've talked about it a lot so do you do you still feel because at the time of the draft you were not happy about it do you still feel like obi Toppin was a bad pick then a bad use of resources no because he was a four if I'm take that's a good point, but I'm I'm less I'm more against taking a um, a traditional five um, in that sense. I think a traditional four that's still I think that I mean I wrote a whole piece on how I also value versatility from four, but um, but I'll say this also like and I, I said that you said that playing the four or five I think in general versatility and Obi at least on offense is showing that I know. You're not allowed to say that the games against the last 20 games where he shot 40% matters at all and only look at the 23%. But his shooting percentage on Darko is about 35%. I think he's a capable three-point shooter who isn't going to hurt your spacing. Um, even during a slump, he was still getting closed out on. Obviously, runs the floor. Um, but to answer your question, no, I don't think that was a waste of resources. Partly because I still think Tyrese Halliburton is reasonably close to his ceiling. Um, Omar is going to kill me for that, as well as demanding, defending Mitch. But hey, Omar, shout out Omar. Um, I am not like seeing this incredible ceiling from Halliburton. I'm more mad that they uh, passed on Maxi. I want to say pissed on Maxi. Well, um, but um, so back to my point. I think that limited kind of the rim running big archetype that isn't like either uber switchable or can space the floor or can like or if their if their main value is like as a post attacker. I don't think it can be just attacking switches. I I want someone with like that elite post game. The last thing I'll say is yeah, like I do have a big number one right now on my board. Um, there are guys who can play the four and the five, and especially Eason, but also Sohan, who I'd really like the Knicks to, to target. Um, so it's not that a bigs don't matter thing, but I think the archetype of just a guy who can protect the rim, can finish um, on rolls. Um, and then maybe do a little bit, like post up a little bit, or even or even post up like Andre Drummond. Like to me, that's not like I think you can replace that, like in the second round. The Knicks found a, a great center at that, who actually also gives them switchability at pick fifty eight, right? And I'm and to your point, like yeah, Embiid went three. Uh, and then here's what I'll end on. And sorry, I know I've been talking for a bit. Uh, I asked a couple of polls. Um, and because I think this would change my mind a little bit, but about three players and whether they would end up being better than Jared Allen, who is, I mean, what would you, top 25 player in the NBA? Top, I don't think he's top 20, but. Top 30, probably something like that. Top 35. Top yeah. 40, I think is safe. Top 40, let's just say. Okay. Um, so that would be a reasonable player. Um, so here's my thing. If your ceiling is Jared Allen, like that is not as exciting to me as a player whose ceiling is Paul George. 
But if there's like a 30% chance of you being better than Jared Allen, that's a different story, right? Um, so just to pull, and I, I would, I'll ask you, well, at least of the players you've watched here, who, but ask what percentage would you assign the probability that Mark Williams ends up like better than Allen? 32% said 10% or less. 38.5% said 10 to 25%. And the rest said 25 or greater. So 29% of people said there's a greater than 25% chance that Mark Williams is better than, um, than, uh, Jared Allen. For Duran, that number went up actually to about 41% with kind of the mode being 36 and a half, or sorry, the mode being between 10 and 25%. Um, and then for Christian Coloco, who the Knicks can get in the second round, about half of the people said there's only about, there's less than a 10% chance. But half the people said there is more than a 10% chance, which is not as high as the other two. Um, but I think if you think that there's a greater than 10% chance a player can be better than Jared Allen, um, that number for Williams was um, about 68%. For Duran, it was 78%. 50% isn't that much lower, and that could end up being a difference of like 20 picks and still being able to get a wing, right? Um, so that's kind of where I'm talking about. It's like, and that, if we're talking like that is the ceiling outcome, even that, even a guy who I will agree that if you know you're getting Jared Allen, that is worth a lottery pick. But if that's your ceiling, I think you can find guys with that ceiling with not that much lower of a probability later in the draft um, or in free or well, free agency, you're going to have more cooked eggs, so to speak. But yeah, I think you can find those players and develop them, especially with this development staff without using a lottery pick. Um, so TLDR is, I don't think bigs don't matter. I think kind of um, not particularly versatile bigs don't matter um, or reasonably able to be replaced and um and depending on what the skill set is um you can find bigs with those kind of ceilings later in the draft or without using high-end resources the nba playoff action is non-stop at DraftKings sportsbook official sports betting partner of the nba this week, new customers can bet just $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets if they do. Looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during the NBA playoffs? With DraftKings Same Game Parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, total threes made, total rebounds, and more. And boom, you have a shot at an even bigger payout. Right now, all customers can place a same-game parlay with three or more legs and get a free bet back up to $25 if one leg doesn't hit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN, bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game, and get $150 free bets if they do. That's promo code TBPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Like I, I think, I think that's that's all pretty fair. Uh, I actually broadly agree with that too. So um, I, I just, I, to me, I just have seen, and this is not just you. I've seen way too much of, you know, oh the Knicks, uh, or not the Knicks, sorry, but bigs aren't that important. Bigs can't take one high in the draft. Shouldn't take one high in the draft. Like I think as a like, I guess the way to think of it, and this is with anything, not just the big man position, but like, as an organization in the NBA, you need to have defined principles, and you need to stick to them. But within those principles, there needs to be 
nuance and like like as so Jeremy has talked a lot about like how the Knicks and Walt Perrin specifically like don't really care about offense from the five position. And I think that's like broadly the right mindset to have. But I also think like obviously Cat is not a good defender, but like the things he can do on offense, like when you're that good on offense, it does matter. Right? Like so it can't just be like you you totally devalue something and you stick to that no matter what. Like within that, there needs to be adjustments for individual player eva- evaluations, right? And so, if you're highlighting Cat's good qualities, man, you are uh, you must really be committed to this argument. Yeah, no, but like I think so. I would not. I would be very annoyed if they took Mark Williams or Jalen Duran at eleven, um, because I agree with you. And I actually like. You know, as much as I've just said that bigs are important to most of these teams left in the playoffs, like I think we're also seeing that wings are super important. Uh, I think and that's... I think I do disagree with you on like I think that ultimately having four elite the perimeter defenders, sorry, having a ton of elite uh, great perimeter defense does matter even more than than Williams because I think we saw that with Tice. Um, not to say Williams isn't a special defender in his own right, but I do think like that depth and all of that and having like all of the switchable guys matters more for them. Yeah, I mean, whatever. I don't, I don't really care to debate that specific point, but like I would be annoyed if they took either of those guys, either of those centers in, at eleven, uh, because I think the Knicks still need more perimeter wing talent, however you want to phrase it. Um, but if, and, you know, you talked about Jared Allen and what the percentage is of a guy being better. Like, I I tend to think, I mean, look, the odds are any center you take is not going to be as good as Jared Allen. Because I think, I don't know if people realize this, like, Jared Allen's really fucking good. Um, and that's pain, painful to say, given, uh, you know, my past stances on Mitch better. But, but he's I mean, not better. I, I will say, and you know, any developed, I think past dances seemed more legit because one got better and one didn't, to your earlier point. I mean, I know you do like Williams. I don't know if you watch much of Duran. Would you give him more than a 10% chance of being as good as Jared Allen? Uh, more than a 10% chance of being better than Jared Allen. Uh, yes, but like, I wouldn't put it very high. Like, I would maybe say, like, 15, 20. And I'm just not sure that's, like, a particularly good bet to make at that point. But if the Knicks, for whatever reason, let's say they think Durant or Mark Williams is, like, you know, he's clear-cut the best guy on the board, and they think that he has, you know, a 30, 35% chance of being an all-star caliber player, like, I that would be my hope for why they would take him at 11, right? Like, if they do go that route, I think the assumption needs to be, and the standard we should hold them to is, this is a player we feel is an all-star caliber center. Because just, like, you can, at 11, if you just take a guy that's a solid rotation wing, that's great. But, like, the, again, the threshold for bigs should be higher. And I think it, it needs to be higher. So, like, if they took Durant or Mark Williams at 11, the standard that player needs to meet has to be, is an all-star. And if they're not an all-star, that was probably a wasted pick. 
Um, and like that, that's just how I think about it. And so like that, that's like, that's why, I, and I, I also say this, like, I don't particularly give a fuck if the player isn't as good as Mitch next year. I think that's the, like, I don't understand why we're judging it like that because like, if we take a wing and they're not as good as Evan Fournier next year, nobody's going to give a fuck, right? Like, we're going to be like, oh, like, well, he's going to be better. So, like, like what, like, what, to me, if we, if we start saying, like, oh, well, this player's not even, like, an argument for not taking a, uh, for not taking a big cannot and should not be if he's better than Mitchell Robinson next year. That's a stupid argument. That's a stupid standard to judge anything by. The standard needs to be, is this for a big? Is he going to be an all-star? And if he's going to be an all-star, and the Knicks think he's going to be an all-star, they should just fucking take him. But, like, that, if they think, Anything less of him, don't. Um, and, you know, like, when people say, like, oh, he's not going to be as good as Mitch next year, I like, well, why do you here, care? Here's why people bring that up. Because a lot of people are saying, well, yeah, it's a big, it may have limited, the guy may have limited upside, but instead of having to pay Mitch, you get to pay him $4 million. Um, and, and then at that point, I'm like, okay, but is he going to be significantly worse? Personally, I think it's more than one year, but... Like I think the argument that you can get ch- cheap production from the big position is used a lot as a reason for when people when people mock him. So I think that's the only reason why a lot of people respond and say, um, like for me, I think the disaster would be you know if the player doesn't really offer that much more in offense and in three years or when it's time to extend, the Knicks are having the same conversation of is it worth extending a limited big? But I think the reason why people even bring that up next year is are they better than Mitchell Robinson is people are looking at it as a replacement. Like you need to replace Mitch. Um, and, um, and I think I agree with you that it shouldn't be about that. It shouldn't be about finding a cheap, it's a lottery pick. I don't think you use lottery picks, especially this Knicks team that already has a ton of depth to get, you know, to save a few million dollars to get that kind of like money ball win. I think you're using this lottery pick to find a star. Yeah, yeah, I, I think, and and quite frankly, I think there are wings that are going to be available at that spot that have star potential, um, and like a star at the wing is the average star level wing is better than the average star level center, or at least not even better, more impactful. Yeah, I mean, and, Paul, Paul George is not the average star ceiling wing. Who is an average star ceiling wing? That's a weird question, I guess. Jalen Brown. Yeah, so Jalen Brown is more impactful than Jared Allen. I would agree, right? More impactful can be debated, but also, like... Yeah, that's true. You don't need to... There's not a lot to consider when building with Jalen Brown, right? Like, you're not, like, worried about who fits next to him or, like, what how what is the best way to optimize Jalen Brown, right? Like, at best, or at the most you can say is, like, he's not good enough to be a primary right like he's not really good enough to run your offense at times the defensive so, production doesn't match the defensive potential either yet but yeah. yeah yeah but like even like even so other than that though like you're not really considering like like if if the Celtics were thinking about I don't know I'm just throwing out a name but like let's just say for whatever reason this offseason they're like we need to get fucking Bradley Beal I'm not going to be like, if I was the Celtics, I wouldn't be like, well, we can't go for Beal because he doesn't make sense next to Jalen Brown. You know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't 
think that. There's not a, whereas with Jared Allen, like once like the thing with centers is you can't play centers with another center. Like you've talked about this like, like you can play wings with other wings. You can play wings with other guards, you can play wings in any lineup uh, like all all lineups, right? Like there's no lineup where you can't like even with RJ, we've talked like I just mentioned how you know, I think that he would he would benefit from a stretch five instead of a rim running five and all this sure, but like you can still have a good lineup with RJ and a rim running five, right? Like we know this. So it's it's less of uh a barrier when you take a wing, uh or less of a potential barrier. Whereas like if you take a center, they really have to be damn fucking good uh if you're taking them in the lottery. And whereas I a wing be... can just be like you know, like what's like McCall Bridges was the tenth pick. Yeah. Uh, I don't think he's a star. I don't love him as much as a lot of people do. But like, he was a good tenth pick, right? Like, there's no question about that. Whereas, if you took, if you took Mitchell Robinson with the tenth pick, would we be saying that was a good pick? I don't know. I don't think we would. I think he goes fourteen or I think we did this exercise and he goes like thirteenth or fourteenth in a in a redraft. But um, and and I and I'm not sure like a team would like if you told a team they were gonna get a big that would turn out to be Mitchell Robinson level with the 13th or 14th pick, I feel like most teams wouldn't take that player. They would bet on something else. Yeah, I mean, and it also depends on the team. I think also a 13th or 14th pick team is often like a team like us. Yeah, I mean, well, I guess, but we're a weird way that we've gotten there in a weird way. Like, we've done that without any stars. Um, yes, Julius Randle did average 20, 10, and 3. Um, oh, by the way, um, a certain friend of the pod decided to... I said the Knicks should try to draft a star because they don't have one. You don't have any issues with that statement. I know you're an R.J. Barrett fan. Yeah, I don't really understand what his like. RJ Barrett is not a star yet. Like that's no. it's not that's not like a controversial thing. It's and just you don't, a fact. And you don't take for like you never take for granted unless unless you're like like I wouldn't take someone that would hurt RJ's growth. But you can't just take that for granted and be like like what's the point, right? You can't just well, assume and and also like there. what player can you like? There's no player or skill set that I would be like that doesn't work well with RJ Barrett that that I would want. Right, like, yeah. like we've talked about Spencer Dinwiddie. I wouldn't want Spencer Dinwiddie because I hate how he plays, and I think the way he plays, it's not just about RJ. To me, the way he plays limits what other players can do on the ball. Now that works for Dallas because it's a lot of like it's like a take your turns heliocentric offense, if that makes sense. Um, like it's basically Luca, Dinwiddie, and Brunson, and then everybody else just spots up and shoots. Like that's Frank Ratio, man. Yeah. But like that that's that's basically their offense, right? So that that works for them, but like I don't think that is the type of system or no, yeah. fit that works with RJ Barrett. But like that's basically it. Anything else, I'm like like I can't really think of most like I don't know how many players I'd be like I wouldn't want to play them next to RJ Barrett. And like obviously even within that there's a standard where you're like fuck it. Like if if the Knicks could get Luka Doncic, I'm not going to be like, well, I don't like his play style next to RJ Barrett. Like, I'm going to be like, okay, well, RJ needs to figure it out. Like that, that that's that. yeah. <laughs> it's so even within that, there's obviously nuance. Yeah, so, and, and because yeah. and if he was already a star, you probably it might. Well, Luka's a, a special case, right? But um, you know, like you probably would have more reservations, right? But um, yeah, I mean, I think that um, 
So I do think the Knicks, but uh, what I was saying is like at 13 or 14, if your team is like the Cavs, but instead of Mobley and Allen, you had high level, just hard lever guard and wings and you needed a big like that. I could see a team or a team like Golden State when they took Wiseman, um, which, yeah, you know, is my poster child, I guess, for like don't take limited bigs in the in the lottery. And in fairness, the Wiseman he has out of here. I could see that. But other than that, yeah, you're absolutely right. A team that really wants to take an upside swing uh, is not taking, you know, would want more than the Mitchell Robinson impact at 13 or 14, probably. Uh, but I think that's, he, he, on in most drafts, like that's the value he's going to deliver. It's just going to be lower variance, right? Whereas wings have the higher one. Um, so getting back to your point, yeah, you do need to be an all-star. I think that's a better way of putting it. Whereas like in the draft, like to take a first round running back, you probably want them to be like, like you said, I think generational. Um, you don't need to be MB to be worth a lottery pick. Um, but I do think like if like if someone if they were to take someone like Mark Williams, I think like he can't just be someone who can attack post switches, right? I think in time you'd want him to be like a volume like some like something maybe closer to Aiton on offense. Um and Duran would have to be, I think, yeah, like an elite switch defender. Um, at minimum Robert Williams. And the other thing I'll say is I don't think, now that I think about it, I don't think Jalen Brown is an average star for a wing. Um, I get the point you're making, but, like, I would say it's probably a little bit more impactful. It's somewhere between Jalen Brown and Paul George. Maybe closer, closer to Paul George is the, if you take the star wings and take the average of them, like, that is, like, that's, like, fringe all-NBA. Um, so that's where I think, um, that's where I think it's, because most of, like, the top players are wings. So um, there's just, you know, there's a lot of them and you kind of need one. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I generally agree with that. Um, and I, like, you know, I also, like, when we're talking about like building out the Knicks team and like their roster, I, I, I like, I, I've I've argued about this with Jeremy a bunch and Tyrese and like I don't really understand how you can be like I think quickly can be a star or like a top end starting point guard. Let's just say not not even a star, but he can be a legitimate starting point guard like and then also advocate to sign Jalen Brunson. Because I think the idea that like they can play together I, that's just a bit much for me. Like, I know that positionless ball and teams downsize and all that kind of shit, but like 6-3 and 6-1 in your backcourt, like that that's not a team that most coaches are going to trust in for a major. I mean, game. what are the what are the the Cavs did that with Sexton and Garland? I think they should do that again next year, but it's less than an ideal fit. Uh, I do think both Quickly and Brunson are better defenders than for sure. those guys. Um the Portland did it with um, with Lillard and, and CJ. I think both of I think that quickly and Brunson are worlds better than those two on defense. But they're also much worse on offense. Um, yeah, of course. Um, and in fairness, but but I mean, I think that. But I think that you would you wouldn't play them together because of the shortcomings on defense, right? So I think those just don't exist as much. Um, and like, I think, I don't know that that's like a linear relationship. Like, I think there's probably a threshold beyond which you're just a sieve. Like, I don't think the Knicks would be a sieve on defense, but, um, but, but in any case, it's not a lineup that's going to see more than 
six to eight minutes a game, right? Yeah, yeah, and it's like my point though is like I just don't understand why. If you think quickly can be that, then why are we signing somebody to play above him in the pecking order? Like I just don't understand that at all. And would quickly still get twenty five minutes? Maybe sure, but like shouldn't I don't know. I just I just don't really understand. Like why can't we just want to start quickly? Like well, I don't. It's I mean, it's I really weird to me because like. I've had people be like, well, don't you, do you just want the Knicks to take it? One of the weird things people do is like, if you say you don't want the Knicks to sign player X, it's like, oh, so you just want the Knicks to tank. You want the Knicks to suck. And I'm like, or I just think the Knicks young players are actually good. Like, and like, cause that's what it is to me. Like, I don't want to sign Brunson or yeah, I don't want to sign Brunson. I think it would be reasonable if they did. I'm not going to like cry about it. I, I think he's a good player. He's obviously shown that he did show that in his playoff run, and um, he brings a dimension in terms of ability to score inside the arc that the Knicks really struggle with. So, like, I understand why they would sign him, and I think it's a reasonable addition and would be a good addition. I think it would make the team better. Um, but I also think there's a world where, like, you just start quickly and play our young guys generally more, and this team can be a playoff team next year. Like, I, I really don't think that's a hot take because. To me, when I watched that team this year, like I was like, okay, well, if the Knicks just played these young guys more, they'd probably win more games. And they finished 37 and 45. They had a point differential of a 41 and 41 team. And that was with Kemba and Forn. Like it was just with really bad players at certain points. Julius was, you know, even adjusting for regression, he was as bad as. But, so are we are we overrating or are we underrating Julius Randle at this point? Because they did still win thirty seven games. They that and that was they had some bad luck. You know, maybe we are under like maybe we're overstating some of. I mean, you watch it, and I am in agreement with you. There was appalling effort at times, um, and there was a high variance. And he might be racking up a lot of his stuff against worse teams, but or just when he's motivated. But maybe we are overstating. How bad he was if, if the Knicks did end up finish finishing with a pretty decent record. Um, no, I don't think we are. I think he was truly awful, and he cost the Knicks more than he helped them. Uh, I, I don't think that's. A, I, I don't think we're underrating him at all. I, like maybe we're underrating his ability to bounce back or something. But like, based on the performance he gave last year. I don't think we're underrating what he did in any capacity. Um, but, like, that's, like, I, I just, I think the Knicks are in a position where the best thing they can do, and I, I don't know if you listened to uh, Schmelk, he was on the pod with, uh, he was on KFS with Macri and uh, Jeremy, and I thought we had a really inter- interesting conversation, and I can comfortably say I'm higher on RJ Barrett and quickly and Obi probably than all three of them. Um, yeah, I am definitely higher than all three of those guys than than those three are. Um, but like they, they were, they basically came to the conclusion or generally settled on a conclusion that like the Knicks, the Knicks's best path moving forward is to play the young guys a lot. And that is ultimately their best path to acquiring a star, be it one of those young guys develops into a star, or their trade value improves, and you can then 
package them to get a star. And like that is kind of why I don't want to sign Brunson. Because yes, Brunson could be a conduit to another to like using then down the line as a star, but is that really the smartest way to go about it? And does that make sense with Emmanuel quickly and what he's shown? Like, I don't think so. Um, I just think that, you know, a player with his pull-up shooting ability and his work ethic and like what he's already shown this year, this in his career in terms of growth as a playmaker, like, I just think you need to bet on that. And, you know, again, RJ Barrett, like, I don't think there's a player that is even available to us that I'm like, I don't know if that player would fit next to RJ. So that's not a concern with him. Um, and then Obi is, you know, we'll see what happens with Julius, but like, he's also not a player I worry about too much in terms of like, who makes sense next to Obi and does Obi fit with this? Like, I just think they need to play these guys more. And that like, ultimately that's the best path for this team moving forward. And I'm not sure Jalen Brunson is even though I get why he's appealing to people. Yeah. Um, so there's a couple of things there. I, I think I'm a little more optimistic on the Knicks being able to play them together um, quickly in Brunson. Um, I do think it'd probably be six to eight minutes a game, but you add in the fact that quickly would get, you know, 15 minutes as a backup. Um, I think that's, you know, he, you can get him up to 23 minutes like that, maybe 25, 26. Um, there's probably going to be times when like that's your best five, and I think for all his flaws, uh, sometimes he makes the wrong assessment of what that means. But I don't think his hard and fast, you, like you said it yourself, he closed the game with Jericho Sims. Tibbs is was I think his premise is I am going to finish with the best five players together, for the most part. In terms of quickly being a star, I I do or, or potentially being a star. Um, I've been a huge Emmanuel quickly proponent. Um, but he, he, like I, I said, the Knicks don't have a star and he falls under that too, which is that, um, you know, I don't think, I don't think him included anyone has earned the right to say you should be passing on players. Like if, if he was a center, I could see that, but, um, or if he was already like John Morant or something. Um, but he, he's not that yet. Um. He's, he's a way better defender than Jopran, but um, he's not that level of player where it's a guaranteed outcome. And I think you need, um, like, it's it's still a bet you're making to see that from quickly. Um, and the last thing I'll say is I'm not sh- we're getting close to the point where what would worry me is if it actually did cause frustration. Like, if he's playing just 12 minutes a game as Brunson's backup and Tibbs is doing Tibbs shit, that would be concerning. Um, but if he's getting 25, 20, 25 minutes a game next year, I don't think that's the end of the world. Um, you know, you look at a guy like Anthony Simons this year. Uh, he blew up in his fourth year, but previous to that, he had an average more than 19 minutes a game. Um, and the last thing I'll say is I think, I also think Tibbs just, I think he loves quickly. Um, like as much as, you know, there seemed to be like the Alec Burks thing was very frustrating. Um, I do think he likes quickly a lot, and I think that he likes to scale guys up year by year. Um, and I think that I don't think I think he will find ways to give quickly a bigger role. Um, so, so I'm I'm on the fence with it. I'm not gonna like cry. I, like I think people there was a Jake Fisher report. Maybe we could we should talk about this because there's a couple of Knicks pertinent nuggets. But he said you know 
teams believe the Knicks' biggest priority is, priority is upgrading the point guard position. I don't necessarily agree that that should be. I don't agree with that at all, to be honest. I think the Knicks need more talent. So if that is in the form of a point guard, okay. Um, and that's really... And brush, Brushhold is that Brunson. Ah, Brunson is that threshold. I Brushhold think. is that Brunson. Yeah. <laughs> Um, where he's like, he would definitely be a talent upgrade. Is he a star? I, maybe he is. I mean, he really, he can get his at the playoff level. Like, he's probably underrated. Um, and then, um, yeah, like, so I'm, I definitely agree with you. I'd like to see quickly get, you know, you know, let the, let, you gotta let me fly, right? Um, I'm a bird, you gotta let me fly. Um, I definitely would like to see that. I don't think it's a disaster if he has to wait another year. Um, I think he'll get even more opportunity once it clears out. Um, and I think it, it basically comes down to, I think if the Knicks do sign Brunson, it will be with the expectation that they can, A, move off that contract if for whatever reason quickly blows up, or, or you know maybe move off quickly and move him for a star. Um, it, it'll be, in, and it'll also be under the assumption that um, they will play together uh, and Quickly's role will, will, will continue to, to increase. Um, and because for all the worries on defense, Quickly has shown that when he plays next to a, a rim-attacking guard, whether that's Derrick Rose, or for all the leaps that Quickly made, particularly late, I think he really does benefit from playing next to R.J. Barrett, um, who can pressure the rim. They help each other, of course. Um, but, you know, the um, th- that's kind of how I see it. Um, so that's why I wouldn't. I, I think they have. To, it's based on the front office's determination. And if they were to make that determination, um, if they were to sign Brunson, I would imagine they make that determination. I don't think it would be a sign that they are out on quickly. Um, now, if they give that, that said, there is a price for everything. Um, you know, I probably wouldn't go over four for a hundred um, for, uh, for Jalen Brunson. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think I would go over four for a hundred. Uh, and I just look, I, I, I just can't get over the like. To me, if if Brunson was the size of Marcus Smart, I am. It's a totally different conversation. You think he'll but, get hunted in isolation in the playoffs? <laughs> no, it's not even that. I just think like then I can imagine a world where him and Quickly together play a ton of minutes and they're great um but i mean don't you think quickly is big enough to play the two is that optimal like i mean look i'm just looking at uh, like especially like that heat celtic series and i just think there's trickle down effects of like lack of size and you know we talked I mean, obviously they're both better than kemba especially this version of kemba on defense but like i think one of the pieces that we underestimated coming into this season was okay even if the offense, even if the offense had been better with Kemba, like if we had gotten that love, the the offensive performance we were expecting from him, the defense would still have been an abomination. And there's trickle down effects of like lack of size, even if the player is a good defender. And I just think like is quickly capable of defending the two. Yes, is that ultimately the best use of him? And can he hold up there in major minutes? Like you know, if you're playing against Boston, right? Quickly at the two means he has to defend Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum, one of those two guys. Is that really 
the construct that helps you contend? I don't think so. And like, if the point is like we have to get, you know, again going back to the pod that I listened to with Schmelk and, and Macri and all these guys, but like Jeremy also brought up like how you have to take the in between steps before you can get to the contention level, and I think that's true. And so, like, if that is the reasoning behind Brunson, I kind of get it. But at the same time, like, if you already have Quickly and you believe that Quickly has the potential to be a starter, then shouldn't you be more interested in allocating your resources elsewhere? Like, I mean, you're because... pretty sure because is he ready to? Is he a starter now? Like, I yes. I want to say yes. There is evidence to the contrary, as I believe the on-off warranted him getting that chance last year when you had Alec Burks as the other option at starting point guard, which was bad for everyone, especially Alec Burks. Um, Do I think that... But I think the impact of the shooting slump was overstated, but it it did happen. Um, Like, and that... Should that matter when you're talking about starting him over other not good options. No, it shouldn't because he still impacts even without shooting well. But it does bring into question that, you know, it, it his, I think is, is he an elite shooter or just very good? If he's just very good or if he's even, maybe the maybe he's just good or just, you know, he takes a lot of high volume shots, but he's an average converter or not that much higher than it. Uh, and he's an effective offensive player, but not a high, like if he can't get to high level effectiveness, which, Still is, I mean, he did it for 20 games. Like, that's not, I'm not shoving that aside. And again, compared to, like, mediocre options, that's fine. Uh, like, I think he has absolutely earned the right to start over them. Has he earned the right to, and again, Brunson is kind of that threshold where above Brunson, I would say no question. Like, he hasn't earned the right to start over that kind of player if they can get him. Below Brunson, I think he has. Like, Tyus, like if they brought in Tyus Jones or, like, started over quickly... I'd be like, all right, Tyus Jones, you better like get the offense humming at an extremely high level. Um, so, like, I don't think that I, I agree with you on that, but I don't think as much as most of what I've said is defended quickly and weren't like advocated for him getting more minutes because even when he was shooting poorly, you know, all of those, you know, he was having a high impact. Um, I actually, I don't want him guarding Jalen Brown. That's a pretty good point. Um, but there's a, like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind him guarding, uh, pool or clay. Um, I wouldn't mind him guarding Frank Nilakina. I wouldn't mind him, mind him guarding. Does Finney Smith play the two for them? I think he plays the three, right? Cause it's Luca, Jalen, Finney Smith. Yeah. So there, so yeah. that in Bullock, that team, you'd probably play the three or four. Yeah. I wouldn't. Okay. So I wouldn't mind him guarding Reggie Bullock. Um, do you so, think he can handle that? Yeah, I think he can handle that. <laughs> um, so, but that—that's. But I think there's. I think the vast majority of teams he can guard the two. Uh, he's like if you look at standing reach, he's pretty much two guard size. I think his standing reach is like eight four, which is like a small two guard, but that's within like the normal distribution. So I don't think. Um, so I think he can play with them. But yeah, to answer your point, as much as I love quickly. If he had shot 39% from three again, or 37% from three again last year, or if he didn't have that slump, I'd be more comfortable saying it. But I'm not, I think Brunson is the kind of talent where I don't think quickly has earned the right for you to pass on that yet. Yeah, I guess I just don't, I don't know. Like, I, I, To me, a player 
needs to be somebody that I'm going to look back on and be like, wow, if only the Knicks had signed this guy. And like, you know, I think you've asked me this before, but like, Fred Van Vliet is like maybe that level. Like, like you think I he's wish... that much better than Brunson. I think he's quite a bit better than Brunson, especially specifically on at running point. I mean, at defense too, but running point guard, like actually getting an offense rolling. Like Brunson is a really good scorer who can drive and kick, but I don't see him as like a very natural playmaker. Um, you know, I don't like, I'll, I've seen, I think I've seen better playmaking ability consistently in flashes from quickly than I've ever seen from Brunson. Um, I hear that. Like, but but would you say that's the Knicks' biggest need, or is it? I mean, because what they need, and this is one thing that uh, no, I think the biggest need is is just forgetting position, is just quality shot creation. Like they right. need somebody I that I would say Brunson is the best of those three at that. He is the best of those three. Yeah, yeah, he definitely is. It's just like, is Brunson a player who is going to? If you add him into the mix, is he going to raise? What's the saying? Like, uh, you raise all the rising tides. rising tide raises all boats. Yeah, like, is he that type of player, or is he a player who is going to do his thing and be very good at it and be very effective? And as a consequence, your team will be better, but it doesn't actually make the game easier for other dudes that are on the floor with him. On like, that that's note, my question with him. On that note, and I think that's a fair question. But you, we talked about how much of that is Dallas's offense, right? They do play kind of more. I would, I think, take turns like in the Kyrie KD stance is overstating it. I think they, they do more interesting stuff than that. But how much of it do you think it is? You know, do you think there's because he came out of Villanova as like the quintessential floor general? Um, now nah, there's players end up a lot of the time much different than how they're drafted. We talked about Kevin Looney. Donovan Mitchell were supposed to be an elite defender with some offensive questions and have been the exact opposite of that. But do you think there's untapped playmaking and kind of ball movement upside for Brunson that is being perhaps muted because of Dallas's strategy and personnel? Uh, no. Like, I, I just think... I, I, I don't know. I, I'd have to go back and, like, look at how he played at Villanova, but even at Villanova, I always thought of him more as a scorer than like a playmaker or distributor. That's just always been like the, the strength of his game is his scoring. And like, that's what everything else is predicated on, which is fine. Like it, like I don't, to me, that's not inherently a problem. That's fine. Like most point guards need to, all point guards need to score at this point, right? Like, one of the big issues that I thought Miami had in their uh, seven-game loss to the Celtics was that Lowry was not looking to score way too often, right? Like, there were, like, games where he just didn't even look at the hoop, and that was a problem for them. So your point guard needs to be able to score and needs to be a threat to score. So Brunson being geared as a scorer, to me, isn't necessarily a problem. But, like, is he... Like, I just think that we, the Knicks need a player to connect the pieces of their team together and like I don't see Brunson as the guy to do that he would make the Knicks better for sure because he's a good player in his own right but like I don't I don't think we're adding Brunson and like we're gonna see this big collective jump you know and maybe that's maybe that's not a reflection on him maybe that's more about the guys that we have just don't take a leap or something like that but like 
you know, I, I just have seen enough from quickly where I think like he has shown you flashes of like being able to really set everybody up and keep everybody happy while also obviously being a threat himself to score. Um, and I would not want to pass on the opportunity to roll the dice on that just to sign Jalen Brunson. Because to me, Jalen Brunson is good. I just don't think he's good enough to necessitate that. And I also feel like if there was a comparable level wing available this offseason uh, in free agency, I would much rather have the wing than Jalen Brunson. So like, because I, I, I don't think that's the Knicks' biggest need. The Knicks have quickly. Like, that's not the biggest need to me. If you look on the wing, like, yeah, I like Grimes. RJ's, I think I'm very, I'm still very high on him. I still think he's going to be a star. What degree of what star or anything we can debate, but like, I think he's going to be a star level wing. Cam is an interesting bet, but like, I just think we need more shot like, creation, dynamism on the wing than, than anything else. And we don't have mix. like lengthy freaks, right? We have, that's really just Cam. Uh, Grimes ideally is not playing a ton at the three and four. He's playing none at the four, right? Um, I think the fact that Brunson is playoff proof and can score at a high level in the playoffs and can get to the rim, he does something that's very important for guards at an elite level. I don't think that's something I'd be willing to just... And again, if Quickly had done what he did, not even for the end of the season, but if he had done, had like, didn't have the slump or like, if he had done the things he did all season long, I'd be more comfortable in agreeing with you. But um, I think the Knicks are at a point where they need talent and they can't just, they can't pass on it for an, un and quickly is unproven at the highest level still. He's got a lot. I think that I agree with you. And when people are like, well, they need, they, they're not going to be able to function. And I also agree with you. Yeah. If they get a high level wing, that'd be more important. Not least because ultimately most of these teams, um, and I say this as one team in the finals does have their best player being under 6'3", but that's that's an exception, right? Uh, besides the Warriors, you haven't really had any teams winning with their best player being sub. I mean, if you look at if you look at the history of the NBA, there's like two point guards that are point guard size that have anchored championship teams, right? I'd say three, but yeah. Who who is the third? Well, I'm assuming you're talking about Isaiah and Steph, right? Yeah, those are the yeah. two. And then I'm saying, the third. I, in 2014, I would have said Tony Parker was the best player on the Spurs. But. Okay, yeah, but I, I even then Kawhi was emerging, and, and that's and that's different, right? Like it was like a collective more than yeah Parker being yeah. Individually. And you could also, I guess, make the case Chauncey Billups, right? But again, a collective. Yeah. So, but the larger point, yeah, of course. Yeah, like I just I, the history of the league, and actually, you know, if you want to argue in favor of Jalen Brunson and Emmanuel quickly, Isaiah Thomas does come to mind because Joe Dumars and him were not exactly the biggest backcourt in the history of the NBA, um, but obviously. They were also both Hall of Famers, so there's that. <laughs> so, like, do we think Quickly and Jalen Brunson are going to be Hall of Famers? Well, you know. just That's... said you think Quickly is worth betting on star upside, right? Yeah, I do. I I think he is. So, like, he has. I and guess I part you... of what makes him interesting to me, as much as I have, I, I think like I have often made the argument that he sh should play a lot of point guard, and he's capable of it, especially on this team, which lacks other options that are either as good a passer of him. Or, you know, ability to get even to penetrate. I mean, he's always been good at penetrating. It's just getting all the way to the room. Oh, is um, he? he? Yeah, he penetrates quickly. <laughs> um, he just can't finish, you know. Uh, <laughs> the, um, 
the, the Emmanuel whiskey dick quickly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is the uh, R-rated portion of the podcast here. <laughs> um, but part of what makes him special is that he can play up, right? It, like that was one of the most exciting things for me when I was scouting him in college is that he, because of his length, um, and you know his he can guard up, especially with and he's added he did I think that's an underrated thing that hasn't talked about that much is he added a lot of strength last offseason. And I don't know how much more his frame can take, but I think there's some some gains there. Um, so I think that in some ways, adding Brunson allows him to showcase that he is more than an on-ball and off-ball player. And not to make this comp, but one of the of the two teams left, one of them does have their best player being a point guard. And one of the things that makes him special is that he isn't just a he doesn't just play on offense as a point guard. Yes, he is their point guard at all times. And I'm also not one of the people that says, well, Steph's more of a scoring guard. He's not the best point guard. Like, that's all bullshit. But he, they use him in so many different ways. So playing with a guy like Brunson, like we also, I lament the fact that quickly when he does play on ball, he doesn't get to run off ball as much. He doesn't get to showcase what he can do as a movement shooter, right? Playing with Brunson and, and allowing him and RJ to take on more of that on ball downhill load could open up that part of Quickly's game. Um, more than it has. And I think already quickly spacing helps the Knicks. I think that's a big part of his on-off, you know, why he's always been a positive on-off player is because he moves well without the ball. He's always a threat to, to pull up um, as well as the defense. But, um, you know, Brunson would, you know, if you want to talk about Brunson maybe diminishing some of his opportunity on ball, it's worth noting that he can probably open up stuff that wasn't really an option for quickly as much um, off the ball. Yeah, yeah, no, I I agree. Um, and actually, uh, real quick, because I know you have to get out of here pretty soon. Uh, one of the uh, players in this draft that I think I still don't understand why he's not going higher in most projections I've seen. Although Wasserman today has him going 17th to the Houston Rockets uh, via their pick from Brooklyn. Shout out the Nets for their epic, awesome season that was totally worth signing Katie and Kyrie for. Um, but Jalen Williams is like super interesting to me for the Knicks because of in in part, not solely, but in part because of what you just said about quickly, which like what makes Steph special is that ability. But to unlock that, you need to have other players capable of like running your offense, multiple guys that can run your offense. And I think like that is something that with Jalen Williams is really interesting because he has experience and was a point guard essentially this year for uh, UC Santa Clara. Uh, at his size, like 6'5 with a 7'2 wingspan, that ability I think would just add such an interesting dimension to this team. And like, I'm honestly at the point where I would probably take him over like any of the wings projected to go to like in that range, you know, be it Branham or, uh, you know, who else? Johnny Davis or even Benedict Matherin. Like, I just think what Jalen Williams offers as a player who can run your offense is way more intriguing to bet on than any of those guys. You are on mute, Stacey. Oh, wow. You just you missed my reaction when you said Johnny Davis. Omar is going to love that. Uh, as a resident, both Johnny Davis, Stan, and Jalen Williams skeptic. Um, that is a hot take. Um, there's a lot of stuff I agree with on that, on Jalen Williams. 
I also think, yeah, what, you know, the ideal way to unlock quickly off ball would be to play him more with like an on ball wing. Maybe RJ grows into that, to your point, right? Yeah. 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 Um, like, and that, that's, and like that, I want to be clear. I'm not saying like RJ can't do some of that, but like I also, me personally, I don't see RJ as the type of player or the caliber of player who like the lowest bar you can be at to be a wing creator, wing primary is basically like, Jason Tatum for a contender and like that's a really fucking high bar but even then like I think we would all most people would agree that like there are times where his limitations as a ball handler distributor whatever can be problematic um he needs needs a mid-range or pull-up game to make me buy that at this point like that has RJ yeah 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 I agree and so like so like it's not like I don't think RJ can run your offense at times but I also think like at times is the the, the key part of that like it's he's not a guy that i envision personally as like he is the number one option on the team and it, like, even if he was there. like that's not a that's not a bad like big wing creators is not the same thing as lillard and cj right right exactly you, if you have paul george and Kawhi leonard that's fine right <laughs> that like that's not um like drafting jalen williams by no means precludes rj from that um, I mean, I think I think there's a lot of reasons. I don't. I think that if Johnny Davis, for one, which I do disagree with you on, I don't think I would take him over Davis, who himself is pretty big and guard one to three. For all of the talk of Jalen Williams' size, and he does have a pretty special off-ball ceiling. Um, like Davis as a defender is going to be better for yeah, a while. He's, awesome. he's really um, good at defense. And. Um, Williams, but I think Williams is an intriguing thing. He doesn't have, he's not super bursty. Um, you know, the vertical was great, but it doesn't show up besides one thing he does really well on defense is like just get up for blocks. Um, like he can get up off the ground real quick, but he's not super bursty. He kind of has a slow motion style, but he's very crafty. He's a really good ball handler. I'm not making this comp, but I think when I watch him play stylistically, it is a bit like Luka Doncic in the sense that He's not relying on blowing by dudes, He's but he's got extremely tight handle, and he's got a combination of strength and speed. So he's not super fast, but you have to worry about the ball handling. And then he's also, he is very strong. So it's just like, when you brace yourself, you can say that he's not going to bully everyone, but he doesn't have to. Because if you're bracing yourself to stop the, the bully ball, he's quick enough to make you pay for that. And if you're, you know, if you're not in, if you're upright or like ready to guard the, the drive or the closeout, he can lower his shoulder and, and get into you, right? So that's a pretty effective combination. Um, I think that, I mean, I think that freakish athletic players are just something the Knicks really need. Um, every time I mention this, people are like, well, you forgot about Cam. I'm not forgetting about Cam. This is why I still like that trade. But you can't have enough of those kind of guys. Um, mm-hmm. And Jalen Williams is a very intriguing player, even at 11. Um, and um, and definitely someone the Knicks should be considering. Although um, I think I agreed with most of the guys you mentioned. I would not agree that I would take him over Johnny Davis. Or even guys like A.J. Griffin. If they were to yeah, I'm, I'm, just, I'm of the opinion that A.J. Griffin's not going to be there at 11, at, yeah. given his workouts and all that stuff. Like, I just think, yeah, he has injury concerns, but like... He was what a top two or three prospect coming into the season, like as far as in his pro- in his draft class, like or his sorry his high school class. Is that accurate? Yeah, yeah. So like, I don't what what did he, what happened? Oh, so, sorry, he was not a top two or three prospect. Um, 
I think at one point he was, but he got he didn't play um, his uh, senior year. Uh, so according to twenty four seven, he's eighteen. I think he was rated that high by a lot of draft Knicks because of his skill set. Um, but I think he didn't play his senior year, so there's that. Those are some of those issues. Okay, I mean, it's interesting yeah. actually on twenty four seven kind of just tangent, but his cop is Kelly Oubre, which is that interesting no because sense. well, because in the, I'll tell you why it makes some sense. His athleticism was seen as very much a plus trait in high school. Um, he has more upside shot creation, all of that, than Ubre. But, um, you know, like, it's interesting because now you would say the athleticism and the quickness is the question mark, but it shows you how much the impact of whatever injury he's going through has had because he was, he was known as that guy uh, in high school. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I just, either way, it doesn't really matter. I just don't think he's going to be available yeah. at 11. I think somebody's going to take the shot on him earlier given his shooting ability and like we know shooting is arguably the premium skill now in the nba um so i just don't think he's gonna be available but yeah, if he was there then see I would... that by all the duncan robinson minutes right exactly <laughs> uh but like i i think I, I if he was there i would take him over jalen williams but other than that like i just like is matherin gonna be a shot creator like that i don't think so is johnny davis gonna be a playmaker like that uh, I know Prez is higher on his playmaking than I am, and like he's his brought team up that ass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His team was really bad. So like, I don't. Like, the the fact lower they won the Big Ten is ridiculous. Yeah, the lower the lower assist numbers for him don't necessarily worry me in that sense. But I don't envision him as like a natural primary playmaking type of dude. Um, can he? playmake yes i just don't think he's a guy that i would want to task in that capacity um i will say he has more i i don't think i agree with you on that especially compared to williams because he does have more burst so i think when you lack that kind of elite burst it makes your threshold a little bit higher for everything else and um and i think that remains to be that's still a bet you're making with jalen williams which i'd be a little bit more comfortable making with Johnny. but yeah i mean i guess i just I'm lower on Johnny than I guess than you are, but like I don't think like again if, if I, I want to be clear, like me saying this doesn't mean I think like if the Knicks take anybody but him, it's a travesty. Like I understand the arguments for Matherin. I think he's really enticing. Like if the Knicks took him, I would have zero problem with that. Uh, if the Knicks took Johnny Davis, I'd have zero problem with it. I like him. Uh, Malachi Branham is a weird one for me. Like I know his shooting is great. I. I'm a little bit lower on his overall upside based on what I've seen, but maybe Poor I'm wrong judgment on that. and school choice, yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, but yeah, Jalen Williams, I think, is just he's got a chance to be a star, and that's not a thing that I think is applicable to a lot of guys in that range. I think Matherin could be a star. I think Johnny Davis could be a star. I'm not sure Branham can be, but maybe I'm totally off on that. And I think Jalen Williams can be a star. So for me, one of those three guys at pick 11, I'm happy with. Um, but I would, me personally, I would bet on Jalen Williams. I just think what he showed at his size and all that kind of stuff, like I think it's pretty special. And there's a chance he could be, you know, pick 11 has had a pretty good history of uh, guys turning out to be excellent players. And I think he could be, uh, he could be one. Have you watched much of his film? Jalen? Yeah, I'm not trying to call you out or anything. Just, I'm curious. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I I have openly, like, no, I've not watched a ton. Like, I've, I've watched, you know, I don't know. I haven't watched a full game, I'll tell you that much. I've seen, like, 
the YouTube compilations of various stuff and different clips that all that kind of shit. But no, I haven't watched a ton of any, of any of him or anybody. So again, take all of my draft opinions very much with a grain of salt. Yeah. Um, no, that's. I mean, I think yeah, that that's fair. Um, I tend to agree with you on a lot of that. I think his upside as a shot like that entices like the Max Vert, whatever. Like that can people game that at stuff. Although it's interesting to note that. Um, you know, his standing reach being that high, I doubt he gamed the, this, the max word at all, uh, like some prospects do. But I think this isn't going to be a dude, like, if you're enticed by the idea that he's going to be yamming on Rudy Gobert on, on a reg, you know, don't expect that. But I think the craft in his game and the combination, again, the combination of strength and speed, uh, strength, ball handling, and speed at that size, that is very enticing. And he's not, um, he doesn't even like leverage that yet. Like, he doesn't leverage his strength as much as he could. Yeah. I and I think, and like that, that it, but yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think that, like, that for me is like a big reason why I think the upside is super high on him because he was as good as he was without leveraging his strength and athleticism combo to the fullest. Yeah. But the, but he is a third year player. So the flip side of that is, is that a mentality thing that can be developed? Um, and I hate having to give the pessimist case on Jalen Williams because I'm also pretty high on him. Um, I think that advanced stats like him, the thing you have to look at it is, is there, if, if the question is this guy doesn't have elite first, um, you know, you do have to take into account level of competition. I thought he looked good against Gonzaga. He had some very impressive plays against Chet Holmgren on switches. Yeah, he I know dropped Chet his ass. Holmgren. Yeah. Uh, which I know Chet Holmgren on the one hand isn't, an NBA wing and is not going to have that level of defense, but also he's arguably the best prospect in the draft and Jalen and Williams didn't have problems with him. So I think the upside is there. Um, it's also the thing though, if you are betting on Jalen Williams, you're betting on that upside because um, I think like a lot of people have criticized his defense. I think from what I've watched, the problems came a lot more when he, you, like you said, he did play point guard for them and he often had to guard ones and twos which like the lateral agility is the one and maybe like maybe he can go to hot yoga with quickly and obi but the lateral agility on defense like on the one hand he's shaped like a very switchable guy because he's six five but he's not someone you really want guarding a ton of point guards i'm sure tibbs and the staff can get his technique better where it's more of an option and, and his length does help there but um, but if you can, but he's big enough to play. Like I think his standing reach was like eight ten. So I think he is big enough to play the four. So you haven't played the four, the three, occasionally switch. Um, he can be a, a, a solid defender. Um, but I think if he's not a high impact offensive player, it makes it a little bit less enticing. Where um, you know he's closer to a Jalen Brown on defense than a guy like Jason Tatum. Um, as like a ceiling, right? He's, I don't think he's going to be a huge impact defender. I think he'll be an off-ball events generator who can switch a little bit, but who ideally you want as a three or four doing some help defense stuff more than a true switcher, which means that it's more of those things where if you take him, you really do want that upside play. Um, and I think ideally if the Knicks were interested in him, I would explore that trade back maybe to 13 or 15. So maybe you could get a guy like Ezen or a guy with a more defined role or more like a, a higher end median outcome to pair with Jalen Williams. But like you said, you know, on the one hand, like you know, if Jalen Williams is just a solid defender who can do some stuff on offense, that's not the most enticing ceiling for the 11th pick. 
uh, are the most enticing player for the 11th pick, but his ceiling is, you know, if we're taking that home run bet, he definitely needs to be in consideration for that reason. So. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, the star outcome for him is something like Chris Middleton. Um, that's, which, mm, that's not the, that is a comp I would use for a different player we talked about, but. Um, Branham? For, yeah. Um, who just got mocked to the Knicks by Wasserman today. Yeah, I saw that. Um, yeah, I've seen that comp for Branham. I can see that. I just think maybe I envision it more with Williams more easily because of the playmaking he's already shown. And I think like that's one of the things Middleton does that is Sorry. not uh, valued. Can you give me one second? Quickly. Um, but yeah, so um, I don't know. I just think uh, with... Jalen, there's a chance that things really go well, and uh, if he does, like I just, I, I don't know, the Middleton one just makes sense to me because of what um, brings to the table. But enough of that. Uh, that is our pod for today. Uh, hope everybody enjoyed it. Stacy, uh, let people know where they can find you and plug anything you'd like to plug. Yeah, uh, you can find me at Stacy Patton eighty nine. Um, I just plug the draft shipping coverage. Um, Going to have a lot of a uh, lot more content, especially now that the Knicks have some clarity around their range. Um, but yeah. Oh, and I should awesome. be on a pod with Chip Murphy um, coming out this week. Um, so um, yeah, the the New York State of Mind podcast. Um, so I'll I'll be tweeting that out. So if you want to hear me to chat more about the draft with him and um, Danny Small. Um, you know, uh, be sure to tune into that. Awesome. Uh, I will. I will tune in. Uh, I have nothing to plug, so I'm just going to plug all the different stuff that uh, the Strickland has put out, draft coverage, podcasts, all of it. So uh, definitely check that out. Hope everybody has a great week, and uh, I will see everybody on Friday. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. Yeah, it's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.